Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 85, The War of the Sicilian Vespers Gets Confusing. So, we find ourselves embroiled in the War of the Sicilian Vespers, and things are about to get a little confusing. So, I'll try and limit the details and give you a more general review of the situation. I'll also try and repeat the names a bit, so maybe they'll stick a bit better. Finally, at the end, I'll give you the main takeaway point, so if you want, you can skip to the last few minutes. Only I've also decided to reveal the secret of the meaning of life and the creation of the universe in the middle at some point. So, your choice. Let's get some background. The War of the Vespers was kicked off by the Rebellion of the Vespers, which broke out on the 30th of March, 1282, In the rebellion, almost all of the Angevins that could be found in Sicily either had to escape or were killed. At this point, Charles of Anjou, who had been made king of the Kingdom of Sicily by the Pope, intervened. Incidentally, the Pope at the time of the Vespers was Martin IV, which means we blatantly ignored the Popes since the time Charles had taken power. But we'll leave them to the Pontifacts, ladies, to go over and listen to them when they do get round it. The Sicilians had called in Peter of Aragon to help them, and so he had, doing quite well, thank you very much, in particular thanks to his Sicilian admiral, Ruggiero di Lauria. Then, in 1285, many of the main actors in the story had decided to complicate matters by all dying in the same year. Now, Charles of Anjou was obviously thinking of future podcasters and called his son Charles, as we saw last week. So, we have Charles II. Philip III of France was also helpful, calling his son Philip, who became the fourth. Peter of Aragon, on the other hand, was totally inconsiderate. His first son was called Alphonse, his second James, and we're even obliged to remember the third, Frederick. The idea was that Alfonso would inherit Aragon, James would get Sicily, then things would slide down. So if Alfonso died without heirs, James would step in for Aragon and Frederick for Sicily. As you can imagine, that's exactly what happened. But we'll talk about that in a sec. Finally, as far as the next pope was concerned, we went from Martin IV to Honorius IV. But you can forget him. And we'll skip right to the next one, who was Nicholas IV. I told you this was going to get confusing. Anyway, in 1285, when Daddy Charles I of Anjou died, Charles II, if you remember, was in prison after being captured at the Battle of the Bay of Naples by Roger of Lauria. In his absence, things were being handled by Robert of Artois, whom I wouldn't even bother to mention if he hadn't reminded me of the beer, and on the religious side by Gerard of Parma because the Pope wanted to make sure he had some control over things. Charles was finally released in 1288 thanks also to the interventions of Edward I of England. 
However, he had to play it safe because he had had to trade in his sons as hostages for his own freedom. So he had to work on being a good boy and getting them free before he could really operate as he pleased. The first thing he needed to do was to swear his loyalty to his overlord for his Italian possessions, i.e. Pope Nicholas IV, which he did on the 19th of June 1289. Then he had to try and get as many Italians on his side as he could, so he started off with Rome. The big cats in Rome at the time were, and had been for a while, the Orsini family. But by this time, they had also been reached, if not overtaken, by the Colonna family. Now, Charles had the idea that he could somehow get both families on one side, which was really very silly. Indeed, the Colonna ended up supporting the Aragonese, thank you very much. This is just an example of the wheelings and dealings and manoeuvrings that were going on in Italy. However, the real action that would actually bring a solution to the whole Sicilian situation was to be played out between France and Spain and would eventually lead in 1295 to the Peace of Anagni. The Peace of Anagni involved, of course, Charles II, James of Aragon, who was then in the place of his dead brother Alfonso, and the Pope. However, once again, the Pope had changed. Twice, actually. Nicholas IV had died and been substituted by no one. For the second time in the previous 25 years or so, no Pope had been elected due to the opposing factions not being able to agree and an interregnum of over two years elapsed. Finally, Celestine V was elected. We've been leaving the popes in the background for a little bit, but it might be worth taking a closer look at them now, because, well, stuff was about to happen. First of all, Celestine really, really didn't want to become pope. He only got dragged into it because he had sent a letter to the conclave of cardinals that threatened divine wrath if they didn't come to a decision, and so the conclave decided on him. He was a hermit and monk, and had not even dreamed of becoming Pope. He basically had to be dragged out of his hermitage. He set up court in Naples, under the scrutiny and thumb of Charles II, and appointed many of the king's buddies to ecclesiastical posts. One thing he did do was grant himself the right to abdicate a right he exercised one week after granting it to himself, 161 days into his papacy. No other pope would resign for almost 720 years, with Benedict XVI doing so in 1213. Many scholars think that this earned him a place in Dante Alighieri's Inferno as the man who had made the great refusal. He was substituted by Boniface VIII, but if he thought he could go back to live in peace in his hermitage, he was badly mistaken. Boniface, fearing that Celestine could become a rallying point for those opposed to the new pope, had him imprisoned. He died after about ten months in prison. We'll have time to talk more about Boniface. For the moment, he brings us back round to where we wanted to get to because it was Boniface VIII who was present at the Peace of Anagni. 
Basically, the deal was to be that the French, the Angevins, i.e. Charles II and King Philip IV, were to leave Aragon alone. In exchange, in exchange, the Spanish, i.e. James of Aragon, would leave the Kingdom of Sicily to the Pope, who in turn had assigned it to Charles II. Now, there were a few people who were not at all pleased with this deal. One was Frederick of Aragon, younger brother of James, who was regent of Sicily, and with this deal would be left with nothing. The other, and perhaps more important unhappy player, were the Sicilians. Therefore, they and Frederick refused to recognise the treaty. Frederick's brother, James, was obliged to intervene according to the treaty, and he sent a fleet to raid his brother's coastline. Frederick said, oh yeah, and started all kinds of trouble. He invaded Calabria, he reached agreements with the Ghibellines of Tuscany and Lombardy, and assisted the Roman Colonna family in their struggle against Pope Boniface VIII. At this point, James could have washed his hands of the whole affair and let the French deal with his brother, but he was taking his obligation under the Treaty of Anagni very seriously, and he himself, along with the ever-present Roger of Lauria, led a fleet down and engaged his brother at the Battle of Capo Orlando. Now, you may remember that last time I said that Roger of Lauria never lost a battle, even when he switched sides. So, this is when he sort of switched sides. He was still with the Aragonese, but against other Aragonese and his Sicilian compatriots. In any case, James and Roger of Lauria defeated Frederick at the Battle of Cape Orlando. Meanwhile, the Angevins also attacked Sicily, but despite initial successes, they were defeated by Frederick at the Battle of Falconaria, and one of Charles II's sons was taken prisoner. Frederick continued to have success in Calabria, and things were looking pretty good for him when once again Roger of Lauria popped up on the scene again, this time defeating the Sicilians at the naval battle of Ponza on the 13th of June 1300, and even capturing the would-be king Frederick himself. In 1302, it seemed that the fatal blow would fall, crushing the hopes of Frederick and his Sicilians. When the Pope called in the other French Charles, he of Valois, to invade Sicily. That he did, he landed, and as soon as he set foot on the island, his troops were decimated by plague, and he was forced to seek a peace agreement. So it was that on the 19th of August, 1302, the peace of Caltabellotta was signed. Charles II finally gave up and conceded the island of Sicily to Frederick, who came to be known as Frederick III. This was quite considerate because the previous Frederick, who had been king of Sicily, had been Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II. Officially, Charles II, who reigned over most of Italy south of the Papal States, with Naples as his capital, was called the King of Sicily, without the island of Sicily actually being part of his dominion. Frederick instead, who actually did govern over the island of Sicily, was to be called the king of Trinacria. This didn't make much sense at all, and indeed historians called Charles's kingdom the kingdom of Naples, and Frederick's the kingdom of Sicily. However, 
This is the reason why, during the Restoration, after the Napoleonic Wars in the early 1800s, the two kingdoms were reunited in the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies. For now, the solution was supposed to be temporary for the duration of Frederick's life. It would instead last for over five centuries. All of this has been very likely quite confusing, so let's do a very quick general summary. The Kingdom of Sicily, which included Sicily, and the mainland of Italy up to the Papal States was assigned to the French. They were pretty rubbish at governing the new kingdom, and the island of Sicily rose in rebellion and called in the Spanish. In the end, they fought it out, with the final result being that the island of Sicily went to the Spanish and was called the Kingdom of Sicily, and the mainland part of the Kingdom of Sicily went to the French and was called the Kingdom of Naples. Would this put an end to the troubles? Would the two new kingdoms coincide happily and in peace? Of course they wouldn't. Thanks very much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my Patreon supporters, who have become over 50 now. Thank you very, very much. That's a lovely milestone to pass. So, thanks to the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Anthony G, Selene, Chanel, Dean V, Eric W, Gordon Z, Greg, Ignacio, Old John in Milwaukee, Caitlin, Kevin, Marxist Leninist Sicilian, Rene B, Reactionary Venetian, Roberta D, Rodney N, Scott L, Shelby, Stephen and the Tippy Top Supergroup, Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri, Sen, Paolo, Lisa K, J.W., Andrew M., and Brandon S. And if anybody would like to change names and get a nickname, then you're more than welcome to suggest one. Remember, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com for observations, questions, protests or any sort of communication you would like to put through at the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com. You can find our website, where you can find the support page to become a patron or support via PayPal. Thank you very much for your generosity. And, of course, you can click through to our social media. We are on Twitter and Facebook, and I am contemplating getting on Instagram, although I know nothing about it, and we'll have to look into it. Thanks again very much to everyone for listening, and until next time, arrivederci. Right, everyone, this is a bit confusing, so let me do a roll call. Charles II. Present. Charles of Valois. Present. Charles I. Charles I. Um, he's dead, so. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Frederick III. Present. James of Aragon. Present. 
Show us the ring of power! <laughs> Go back to the Shire! <laughs> oh, shut up! That's enough now. Edward of England. Right here, chaps. Good, good. Now, Nautimus Maximus. <laughs> oh, ha, ha, very funny. Okay, so, let's sum up. James of Aragon keeps Aragon. And Wuhan. <laughs> enough! Charles II keeps the kingdom of Sicily without Sicily, but we'll call it the kingdom of Sicily. Excuse me, I still think this is dumb. I mean, if we're gonna call our lands whatever we want, I'm going to call mine Awesome Land and Charles Stinky Doom. Your face is dumb, and Stinky Doom is where your grandma lives. Boys, boys, that's enough. Let's just leave it at that for now. Whatever, loser. Now, Edward of England, what do you want in all this? Well, I just wanted permission to chop Mel Gibson into bits. Chop him up? That's a bit harsh, isn't it? What has he done? Well, he plans to make a sequel to The Passion. It will be an ancient Sumerian with Babylonian subtitles. Oh, okay, go ahead then. Sentira Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentiri Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.